This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. Podcast. I'm your host, PWI senior writer Al Castle, joined once again by my co-host Brian Solomon. How's it going? Happy Happy Holidays! Happy Holidays to you too, Al. Happy to be here in December, as I am, as everyone knows, the voice of the voiceless. <laughs> yes, <a little laughs> more of that uh, coming up. I, you know, we were just talking. Uh, I think this is very much going to be a one-topic episode um, of the the podcast uh, with the big news of CM Punk's. Uh, return, but there is more. Stick around. Uh, got a really fun conversation with a former PWI writer, editor uh, Bob Smith, returning to the show. Had him on close to five uh, years ago, uh, episode 110. I looked it up, and uh, great to reunite with him. I'm going to be on his podcast in a couple of weeks. We spoke for a really long time, so um, I don't know that we're going to get all of it here. It might end up getting split into two. Uh, we'll see, but. If you are uh, a fan of kind of the, uh, the the golden age of Pro Wrestling Illustrated and the um, the the Western uh, magazines, stick around because that's all it is. It's just you know diving into that era, and it's so much fun um, talking about you know the creation of w- one place you came up, Brian. As I mentioned, your your column about the original PWI five hundred and kind of like dissecting, like why is this guy here, and you know why is this guy here, and got it from the source i mean what what those decisions uh, were and 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 bob is pretty upfront that the first couple of pwi 500s he essentially did by himself yeah. uh, so he talks a bit about the decision making in in um how people were ranked and how hard or diff- or, or not hard it was to get 500 wrestlers and learning about you know it's so fascinating because i think about all the work that goes into these rankings now and i can't imagine you know pre-youtube pre-internet um doing it but but he has a lot to say about that um stick around on the subject of rankings the latest pro wrestling illustrated the march issue includes the fourth annual tag team 100 list and i've got to say um even more than the 500 even more than the women's 250 this is the heaviest heaviest lift for me uh, of the year in in part because and this is one of the challenges is like i'm not that familiar with everybody on on the list and um uh, kevin and i essentially put this together between uh the two of us but it's it's so much fun i'm so proud of it this one is my my baby the tag team list i did mention last time but so i very much will of course we've got your hot seat interview with tony Storm. what a great cover too right i, I mean, love it it's fantastic it is really one of like the, the, of the ones i've liked the most yeah and the color scheme which is really neat um carries into the actual interview with yeah it's all great on the inside the the black and white with the red yeah i love it i'm very very pleased and satisfied with it i sort of have like you know i i have had a handful of covers over the years not too many and and that's not just a fact not you know i have only been on board full time for the last four years but you know i really cherish the cover stories that i've had and not just pwi but also in the, on the wrestler and inside wrestling back in the day. 
Um, it, it's it always gives me a thrill. Even all these years of writing about wrestling and you know working for WWE and everything, there's just something that's just so cool about having the cover story of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. I will never ever uh you know find that to be normal it's just awesome <laughs> yeah well i agree i think that's the right attitude and, and you know going back to bob i think we're all kind of birds of the feather that like we still get a huge kick out of this after all these years what was kind of your your um impression of of tony storm you know this character very sports entertainment uh heavy was was did that come through in your conversation with her yeah and you know i mean i don't know I guess I could pull the curtain back a little on it. I don't know how 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 far, but she's she is amazing. She's a sweetheart, and you know I can say that as somebody who's old enough to be her dad. So I'm able yeah. to say that she's a sweetheart. Um, but what was so cool about it was that you know what you see in the magazine there in the interview is an it, you know it's an in character interview, and it was very much a collaborative effort. Like she was so open to input. Like when we spoke, it was very much about, you know, what would this character say and how would this character interact? And we talked about the origins of it, you know, with Tony, with Tony Khan and RJ city and just the, that what went into it. And, you know, it was a throwback for me because I always loved doing in character interviews back when I worked for WWE magazine and the thing was, as I said to her back then, there were a lot of, and I'm, you know, I'm sure now too, but there were a lot of people that were not comfortable doing that. They would just say, oh, just write it for me. I don't know what yeah. I would say. We'll like, you talk a lot about that in, in our, yeah. 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 They would be like, you know what? You probably have a better handle on this than me. You write it and then show it to me and I'll let you know. But she was totally game. And, you know, there were times where, you know, we would, I would actually say like, oh, that's great. Why don't you yeah, play that up? Let's do that. And you say this and then I'll say that. That'll be perfect. And then even in the writing of it, you know, there's a little bit of embellishment that goes on. And and I'm, you know, with everybody's approval, um, you know, the with AEW's approval and her approval, everybody seemed to really love it. And it just felt like me, like it was almost like coming home again for me, like doing yeah. those kind of stories. It was so fun because really yes. the opportunity to do those kind of stories, even in PWI now, we're kind of few and far between. I, mean, I know. Yeah, yeah. My time at the magazine. You well, know, because I did the. Make stuff up. <laughs> right. Well, I did the Nick Aldis hot seat. That's the last one I did a, a few months back. And that, you know, couldn't have been more different, which is right. fine. I'm, you know, that was the type of interview that was needed. It was very much. Uh, shoot talking about you know what happened in the nwa and what what you know he wasn't in wwe yet but what the future holds and what he's been doing on the indie scene so it was very much like a real life type of hot seat interview this was you know something different something special but i feel like her character right now what she's doing in aew is something really special and it deserves yeah. that kind of treatment i would never want to do like she even said the first thing she said out of the gate was like I'm not. We're not going to do an interview where I talk about how much I enjoy working with so and so, and it's not going to be that kind of thing. And I was like, good. I don't want it to be that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I, I, there's only I think a few acts in wrestling that would really lend themselves to this kind of thing, and and she's definitely one of them right now. So uh, glad to see you got to do it and, and that you enjoyed it. A lot more on the issue. Um, again, the the tag team list. I'm sure listeners are, are sick of our ranking episodes, so I don't think we'll do a whole episode dedicated to the the tag team list 
Uh, but why don't I spend at least a minute here going over the top 10? I'd be interested in getting your uh, thoughts. So number one for the second uh, time, uh, FTR. I think that was kind of a, a no-brainer. Uh, number two, we got Aussie Open uh, breaking into the top 10, I think, for the first time. I don't think they made the top 10 last year. Uh, Owens and Zane, number three. Bishamon from uh, New Japan, number four. Motor City Machine Guns, number five. That's not a, a name I would have thought in 2023 could, could be this high on the list, but definitely earned it. Uh, and rounding out, we've got ABC, The Acclaimed, Judgment Day, Damage Control, and a Seven Up out of Stardom. Anything jump out? I mean, uh, is FTR, uh, uh, you know, a, a gimme for you as much as it was for me this year? Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting to me because last year I still stand by it was definitely the Usos year. They deserved that. And the year, the first time that it, that FTR had it, they definitely deserved it. And the the fun the funny thing is this year it was a little bit of an easier choice because the Usos you know kind of like self destructed and everything, but as m I do believe FDR deserved it they deserved that top spot but th and this wasn't even their best year isn't that right. weird it's like I almost feel like last year the year they didn't get number one they actually had a an even better year than than this year but you know the Usos trumped them i still think so but but this year they were easily the tops i, I don't want to say easily i guess you could say easily I, I i don't think it was that much like last year last you know even though the, the ftr had it before i think last year it was one of those flip-flop years where if we had, if we had given it to ftr i don't think i think people would have totally been okay with that it could have really gone either way I, I think this year they are real clear because when you yeah, think the number two Aussie Open, I think there is um, there's a gulf there. You know, yeah, yeah, I think there, there's good space between uh, the two of them. Usos not in it this year, and, and this is a list that that's still really evolving. You know, I think by now, whatever it is, thirty seven years into the PWI five hundred or whatever it is, you know, we, we've really kind of polished that criteria. We're still sort of figuring it out. Tag team list is only the fourth year, and this is the first year where I think we really drew a, a hard and fast rule that if a team is no longer together, we can't rank them similar to how we won't rank um, retired wrestlers on, in the 500. But even that's a little soft because you've got an Usos where it's kind of a, a clean break, you know, a split. And then you got like Owens and Zane who are um, listed, but are also not really a team anymore. But it wasn't a split as much as it is like they kind of went their separate ways. You can envision them still uh, teaming up. So Still figuring it out, you know, how, how do you deal with three-person teams, four-person teams? You know, one that I remember came up was um, Chelsea Green and uh, uh, Piper. So so Chelsea Green and what's your name? Sonny Deville are on the list. Uh, Chelsea Green and Niven aren't, even though they are the champions. And I think at this point might have had the title longer than, than Sonny and Chelsea did. Uh, so... Yeah, when you're dealing with multiple person uh, teams, it's a lot more complicated. But a fun issue rounds out our sort of uh, trilogy of ranking issues. So uh, go pick it up at pwi-online.com. Lots more in here. Uh, features on uh, Trisha Dora finally losing her, uh, what is it, the Pan-African Diaspora world title, officially recognized as a world title by PWI. Um, and uh, a feature on the return of TNA and uh, so much more. Here's your column. We got uh, LA Knight, right? Um, so go ahead to pwi-online.com and pick it up. Something that I don't plug in up, but is um, such a cool feature over at the the the, uh, the website. 
are these uh, bundles of classic issues. And I think like literally some months back, Kevin unearthed like a bunch of old issues in perfect shape. I mean, these things were like boxed. So, uh, and I think, you know, I, I, I sometimes, as I'm sure you do, will go to like a wrestling store and you see what these old magazines sell for and, and it's crazy and they are tattered and, and they're a mess. And uh, you could get right from the source from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, essentially factory new uh, issues of some some classics uh, at a real great price. That's also available over at pwa-online.com. Holidays are here. Um, get it for the wrestling fan in your life. All right. I've been chopping at the bit about to talk about uh, this one uh, since I texted you and, and Kevin uh, Saturday night with three words, which was uh, non-zero chance, which was <laughs> where I left it when we talked last week. And, and honestly, I mean, I, I'd say I told you so, but I didn't believe it either. I mean, I was just saying that, like, it's not quite impossible that CM Punk shows up, but I didn't think it was happening. And I never one of the things that that I think I mentioned there was, well, they certainly wouldn't bring back Randy Orton and CM Punk the, the same night because one would minimize um the other and it's exactly what they did and in retrospect it was brilliant i mean they, they were doing so many of these things to kind of throw people off the scent and you know and that i think that was the point i made was i don't think it's happening but if you if it were to happen and you want it to be right this is how it would be right which is that truly nobody sees it uh coming and i think that's um what we got i've got so much to say i don't want to hog up um uh, the, the, the mic here um but you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just leave it for, for now with um, one thing I couldn't have predicted with this crazy whirlwind with CM Punk is that we would close out 2023 with kind of a happy ending. I mean, that was kind of the most surreal part of um, Saturday and then the promo on Monday night that this ends up almost like this kind of feel good story <laughs> where Punk is in the ring saying, I'm happy to be back. I'm home and he's hugging fans. And by and large, it sounds like the WWE locker room is like happy to have the guy back. And, you know, they lived happily ever after. And, and, and you know, who would have saw uh, that coming? And um, I think it's just terrific. I also think that he did to a certain degree, a lesser degree, what Cody did, especially with uh, there's some news that came out in the Observer uh, that apparently he had been angling to come back to WWE right before he signed on with AEW originally in 2021. And I think at that time, they really weren't super interested. They weren't able to come to terms. That that That's that's new, breaking information. And I'm thinking that clearly what he did was he, again, like Cody did, he raised his value. I mean, not as dramatically as Cody, because Cody was a mid-card guy in WWE when he left. But Punk made himself by being an AW by everything happening there in this weird way. He made himself more relevant again and more on the radar of WWE that they could see the benefit rather than bringing this guy back cold who had been gone for seven years, bringing, seeing the benefit of, of, of bringing him back now, which is a, which seems like a much bigger deal. So I think that's part of it. Um, I had my I left my back the back door open for myself last time when we talked about it. If you remember, I said, no, I don't think that he's gonna be there. I, I said not a, I agreed with you, not a zero percent chance. But what I had said, and I stand by it, I said, if it happens, then it'll be the best kept secret, like major secret that I've ever seen since the internet started. And I stand by that. I think it was. I think it was the biggest 
the the best kept secret at this level of this impact that that's ever been done in terms of like pr protecting leaks and that kind of thing because they said that Triple H had been talking and Nick Khan I guess knew about it they'd been talking for about a week that's more than enough time for something to get out if somebody says something to the wrong person you know and it was airtight other than you know there were all those little hints that people were dropping but I think 99% of those hints were coming from people that had no clue. They were just being, yeah. they so, were just being uh, cute. Uh, Pete uh, Rosenberg, right? In, yes. In kickoff show. I can't imagine this is a coincidence, but you know, they were recording it outside uh, of the arena there in Chicago. And uh, he, his opening statement was uh, Chicago fans are the best in the world. Ah, <laughs> like, oh, there it is. <laughs> you know, right. I, but but I a lot of people were doing that stuff, and yeah. I mean, I believe you know, according to what's been gone out there, like most, no one really knew until he went through the gorilla position. Like I think they were saying that the the main event participants were told right before they went out for their match, they were basically told like, oh, by the way, um, after the finish, CM Punk is coming out. Like it was <laughs> it was something like that. And apparently, you know, this is, see, this is the difference again between the two companies. And I will say this, I know everybody, not everyone's going to agree with me. What you're seeing here, and I know you want to, I know you would want to get into this, but maybe I'm jumping the gun, is WWE's ability to do business in a way that AEW was just not capable of doing because um, I don't think that it's lollipops and rainbows. I think, you know, there are people over there probably who are not super thrilled, WWE. And they were even saying that some of the main event participants, when they were initially told, were not super thrilled. But the thing is, everybody kind of comes on board and they do business. So like Seth Rollins, I think we can safely say at this point, what's going on with him and Punk is a work. It's part of an angle. At first, people didn't weren't sure because his reaction was seemed so real at the Survivor Series, and it and it wasn't shown on television. It was captured on cell phone videos and things, which I think WWE was counting on. But I mean, that is their way. Like they're able to get everybody in line and say, okay, we know maybe not everybody gets along, but but there's money to be made here, and fans know that you and Seth have said bad things about each other back and forth, like that were legitimate criticisms. Let's build on that. And that's something that they could have and should have done with Pangman Page, with the Young Bucks, with Kenny Omega, and they just could not come together. Um, and that's why, you know, long story short, I, I think that, you know, he made the right decision. I mean, granted, it's the only big decision right now for him to make, but this is where, what at this stage of his career, the, he it is absolutely uh, beneficial to everyone that he's there now. Yeah, and that's why I'm sort of optimistic about this. And, you know, I've, I've talked to some people over the, the last week and even sort of the casual fans that I've run into and, and they say, oh, you know, where, where do you put the, uh, the over-under on, you know, whether he makes it six weeks or a month? Uh, and just this thought that he's so toxic that this is going to uh, not uh, work out well. And I really don't think so. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of, I mean, I wouldn't like bet the house on it or anything, but I, I feel good about this uh, arrangement. And I think it is, uh, and, and he sort of touched on it in his promo and Triple H kind of touched on it on, on his, it, it is, um, you know, what's different here is that Punk is 10 years older, right? And, and not just in, in terms of, of numbers and age, but sort of like where he is in his life and that uh, maturity level. 10 years ago, he was still uh, a guy in his 30s, kind of um, 
ambitious to a fault, you know, uh, sort of like uh, with that that hyper focus on on the brass ring. And um, I I think that ambition um, sort of blinded him and took away his enjoyment of of what he loved, pro wrestling. I think now, ten years older, as kind of the elder statesman, the, the veteran, um, he's got a, a, a different perspective. And I think, um, you know, it, it really worked out sort of perfectly because I don't think he comes back to WWE were it not for the AEW experience. Right. Souring him, souring him so much on on what wrestling is outside of WWE. And he kind of touched on that. He said it, it took leaving to sort of realize, you know, the whole grass is not greener on, on the other side. But, you know, the, the punk of 10 years ago uh, and even before that, I think would have been a good fit in AEW. In that he was, again, young, ambitious, wants to get his stuff in, you know, that that kind of indie mentality, uh, uh, sort of chip on your shoulder, always sort of feeling disrespected. And so I think because of all that, all those things, and thinking that's still the person he was, he, he thought he would be a good fit in AEW. He went there and I think pretty quickly learned... Um, as did we, that it wasn't a good fit. And, and what was clear all along was that he didn't have a lot of respect for, for AEW, for the people there, for better or for worse. And, and maybe he wasn't professional uh, professional about it. Uh, but he it, it was clear that when he got there, you know, for all the production value and the money in AEW, um, I think it became apparent to him that these aren't the, the real big leagues. And well, I... Yeah, I made a comparison to WCW on that night. Yeah, I, I think WCW is a great comparison. I tweeted something about because it brought to mind something I'll never forget. And I heard this indirectly from other people, but something that Bobby Heenan told me about how, you know, he always regretted going there to WCW. He always missed WWF. And it was like he told me it was like going from the major leagues to going to play T ball. He said, he, he, he said to me, he said to me, not even AAA. It's like you're going to play T-ball where they put it on a stick. And it, it made me think about how you would hear that back then from a lot of people and people that did really well in WCW. Because then people came back at me and they were like, well, Bobby Heenan, you know, yeah, he had great, he had much better benefits and he made better money. And I think he did when he went to WCW. And I said, I'm not disputing that. I said, everyone that went to WCW in that era, most of them, did better personally, financially. They made the best money of their career. I mean, Hogan, Paul, Nash, these people were like set for life by that. But all of them said the same thing. You know, as much as it's helped me maybe personally, seek privately behind the scenes. If you if you corner me, I'm going to admit to you, yes, of course, WWF at that time is a much better run company. It's a much more professional operation. They know what they're doing. It's you really do feel like you're in the major leagues. It's the big time in a way that no other company is. Um, I may have my personal reasons for leaving, but I will always secretly know that. And I think that really was the case with Punk. I think it was the case with Cody. Clearly, uh, you're going to, you know, I think that the people I think I've said this before, but you have to when you go to a place like WCW or what AEW is now. You either can make your peace with it or not. So I think there are people like uh, Daniel Bryan or Chris Jericho or, you know, Matt Hardy, people like that, who also you would think know what punk and Rhodes know, but and other people, but they've made their and 
I'm speaking for people that I, I, you know, it's not me, but they've made their peace with that. And they're saying, okay, yeah, but I'm, I'm cool with it. I'm doing really well here. This is a, you know, I don't have to deal with Vince McMahon or whatever. Like I have my reasons I'm here. Yes. If you corner me, I will admit these things to you, but I am not going to raise a fuss. I'm not going to be CM Punk. I'm not going to start locker room fights or complain in a press conference. So you either make your peace with it or you don't. Yeah, and it's again, it depends what you want out of the wrestling business, too, in, in any stage in your life. So, uh, you know, we talked a lot about Will Ospreay, and, th and there's still a real big part of me that that is disappointed to see him in AEW because um, I think he would have grown more in, in WWE. But I also totally, totally get, and we talked about this uh, last time, you know, he's got his roots in, in England, his family, kids goes to school, just, it, it would, you know, AEW fits into his life better right now. Totally fine. For, for other people, I got to say, like, I, I get a little perplexed. Like, I don't I'm not sure I know what Adam Copeland is doing uh, in, in AEW other than than getting to work with Christian Cage's buddy, which is, again, fine. But but um, again, going back to punk, I do think that, like, he got over there. He spent some time and it, it was sort of like an awakening, like th this is not major league or this is not as major league as as WWE is. And I think maybe some of that also maybe uh, made him look inward and saying, did I handle that as well as I should have? And the other thing that obviously changes is that WWE is different now. You know, Vince McMahon doesn't have the the, the power um, that he had 10 years ago, even though I know a lot of Punk's issues even back then were with Triple H. So, right, so but that's part of it too. Okay. I will say, yes, I was going to mention that. I think the Vince McMahon factor played a part in this. I think, you know, CM Punk has a very alpha personality, as we know, and sometimes makes it difficult to get to play well with others and get along. And Vince McMahon is the same way. And I think that was a recipe for disaster. The difference, though, is Triple H is also a very strong-willed personality and, and he's and he's a good leader. But I do think, especially post, you know, heart attack and everything else, I think he is a more kind of humane person than yep. Vince McMahon. A more uh, a, a, a a less difficult person to deal with, uh, a little more uh, reasonable, rational, logical, and 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 they may have their personal issues too, but a little bit still, even regardless, uh, easier to deal with than Vince McMahon, I think, for Punk, and I I do think that played a role here. And and I don't doubt that there will be some dust ups, and you know, th it's a fascinating thing about CM Punk, and you know. The last few years have really kind of told the story of, of his place in wrestling history. And, you know, after he came back to AEW a couple of years ago, um, I voted for him for the, the Observer Hall of Fame. And then after the whole blow up the next year, I think I didn't because I was like, well, you know, on the fence. And now, again, it's sort of back into focus that this guy really is a historically special uh, talent. And it is all the same issues that have made him so difficult to work with and you know have made him you know a cancer uh, in the locker room as people called him yeah, not my words but i mean yeah Rollins used just those words but this idea that he is he's so toxic it's this those are the very reasons why you want him uh on your roster because you know you, you think about um you know one of the biggest stars if not the biggest star in the history of wrestling Stone Cold Steve Austin, right? What what resonated about Steve Austin? And it was 
that he was uh, the rebel, he was anti-authority, right? Um, when in reality, and this is no slight to, to Austin, um, because I think he'd be the same as 99.9% of wrestlers, you know, as are we in, in other jobs, you know, you have to go along to get along. And um, as much as you could play the rebel, at, at some point you got to fall in line um, for, for the, the good of your career and, and your job and, and, and all that. Uh, and, and you hear a lot about, you know, should this be my hill to die on? Every hill is CM Punk's hill to die on. You know, CM Punk is not going to go along to get along. You know, he really is that guy, you know, that that to a a a fault, like he stands up for himself. He if, if he perceives anything being disrespectful, he's going to make a giant deal out of it. And it makes him really difficult to work with and be around. And it makes him the star that that just um, created one of like the loudest pops in wrestling history and one of the most memorable returns a couple of years after doing the exact same thing in AEW and, and to some extent even earlier this year in AEW. Every time the guy comes back, it's a big, big and and on you know minutes after a star like Randy Orton came back um, after being gone for a minute and a half. I mean, he completely dwarfed him, you know, and and it it really is clear that that punk is a a generational, and I'm not even saying how how it doesn't even speak to how good he is in the ring or on the mic. A but star, he, he's a star. Authenticity, you know, um, that is, he really is lives that punk lifestyle that you know he he will give a middle finger to anybody who disrespects him, and I think um, th- that that's bred a, a level of respect among fans and even promoters don't understand all the time because that was one of the things that you sort of sent from triple h caught him off guard is how many how much people wanted punk back right and it, really i mean this guy is such a pain why would you want him here because, because i a huge star yeah because i think too in in reading into it uh the feeling that i've been getting is that even more than triple h that this 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 was um a nick khan decision this was like nick khan persuading triple h and and saying look i know the guys are you know what and this and that and i know you've had words but look this is good business and we should do it and 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 getting him around to his way of thinking i do think there was an element of that because if you remember not long ago we heard and i believe this at the time when he first left that they were just like yeah no we're good you know like like that was i i don't think that that was swerving anybody I think this was like a come to Jesus kind of thing where they're thinking of, you know, what's best for business. And, you know, look, here's the thing. Um, yeah, he's difficult and all the things you said and and people like to th- love to throw around this word toxic all the time. And look, people, it will always drive it. Look, I, I have so many thoughts on this. I'm like bursting with thoughts. But these are, you know, when you're dealing with entertainers, pro athletes, these are larger than life people they often can be difficult they often can be in their own world they're not just the guy or the girl next door they're not and and the key to running a successful business with these kind of people is you have to learn how to balance them work with them get them to work with each other get them to get on the same page and not just expect everybody to be mr rogers because that's just not the way that these places work in reality you know that that's been the key to any you go back in all of wrestling history and other other forms of entertainment it's juggling 
sometimes these prima donnas, these egomaniacs, these completely irrational people who are just damn good at what they do. And you have to, and I'm not talking about, you know, in the, going into the realm of criminal activity, but I just mean, like, you know, you can't tolerate that. But I mean, just tolerating difficult people comes with the territory. You know, you can't have this unrealistic expectation. And then when people will go like, well, uh, this would never be tolerated at any other job. If I go into work and I start fights with my coworkers, I'm going to be fired. And I'm like, yeah, this is not Walgreens. Okay. This is not a CVS. This is not, you know, a fast food place or, you know, you're working in a cubicle somewhere in an office and all of a sudden you hit the guy next to you with a chair. This is a professional uh, wrestling organization. It's a sports league. It's a, you know, a movie studio, whatever you want to think. Um, those kind of things have happened in locker rooms for as long as there have been locker rooms. Uh, again, it comes with the territory. You, you diffuse it. You deal with it. Uh, and, and, you know, that was not capable of happening in AEW and in WWE. It is. So that's why they have him and AEW doesn't. Yeah. And I do think AEW comes off looking really bad. I mean, and, and um, I get that they, you know, they signed Adam Copeland and they signed Will Ospreay. I'm sure they're patting themselves in the back and convincing themselves that they came out better in this deal. But it's not just that they lost Punk, but but I think the way they lost Punk again, really makes them look uh, bad because you, you've got this huge star. And again, I think what, what really comes off clear is that he didn't have a lot of respect for the people in, in AEW. And now in WWE, um, I'm sure he's going to butt heads, but whether it's Triple H or Vince McMahon or Roman Reigns or John Cena or uh, Seth Rollins, uh, take your pick. I, I think he, around those people, sees them as his peers, as as people who have earned a certain amount of respect in wrestling who who have done what they do on the biggest stage possible. And I think not not that I'm sure he got along just fine with Tony Khan, but whether it was Tony Khan, I mean that that image of of Punk after winning the world title, sitting next to Tony Khan, trashing the company next to his boss. Um it was so telling. And it, you know, whether the dust ups with with uh, uh, the Bucks and Kenny Omega, I, I think he saw himself as above AEW. Uh, and we could debate whether he was right or wrong for for feeling that way, but that's how we felt. And I think in some ways it was sort of mutual that I, I don't know that Punk got the, the respect that he deserved um, in AEW uh, either. That, that whole and and I know it's been sort of filtered through through um, uh, the media, and, and I don't know that we've got the most accurate version of what happened. But but that whole episode with Jungle Boy, you know, here you've got a, a, a wrestler who has worked on the biggest stages for twenty five years telling essentially a young boy like hey maybe you don't want to put yourself through a windshield uh on a tv show being watched by less than a million people and essentially what he got was okay boomer right and and i i i totally get punk feeling like well the hell with this place you know uh, right. uh they, they have no respect for me i'm not gonna have respect for them it just wasn't gonna work out L let me ask you this H how do you feel uh, about its chances of working out in WWE, or, or are we you know, a few months from now another blow up, another backstage fight, another firing? Uh, I don't think I'm not saying it it can't happen, but but I don't I don't see it happening. It, it would take a lot for that to happen, um, both because again I think he's got more respect for WWE. Also, I think again he's a, he's in a different part of his uh, a stage in his life that I think some of the the 
the things that were really triggering to him 10 years ago, would it be this year? I mean, I don't see him as a guy. I always tell the story about, you know, being at that press conference at WrestleMania uh, 29, was it? Uh, the one, the first one in MetLife, where he had such a, a boo-boo face um, because he was upset that he wasn't in the main event, which was John Cena and The Rock. Right. And he was only working with The Undertaker at WrestleMania. <laughs> I don't oh, no. think today CM Punk feels that way. I think he would get like, hey, this is great. I'm in a great spot. Happy to help you know, put over the next generation. I think he sees his role differently now. He, he did back then what he thought was best for him. And I support that too, because like we've said, they've got to, these guys have to look out for themselves because the company's not going to do that. And that's not, that's just not the way they run. And, and, and it can't be anyway. So you've got to stand up for your own, no matter how unpopular it makes you. I felt the same thing when Austin walked away with their, you know, in, in Oh two, I felt that way too. You've got to, you've got to take care of yourself and do what you feel is right. But, you know, I think he was a little delusional back then. It, th that was part of it. I think he had more issues than that. And some were legitimate gripes, but he was always pissed off, apparently, that he was never going to be treated as the guy. You know, that was Cena. That was the era. And, you know, he had this idea in his head, which you can't get caught up in these things. He's thinking, like, I'm the world champion. I've been the champion for the longest time since Hulk Hogan. And I'm still not being treated as the guy. And it's like, yeah, sometimes wrestling is like that. You know, like Bob Backlund was champion for six years. And for most of those years, Bruno was still considered the top guy whenever he would come back. Some people would even argue Andre. And 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 in the last year of his reign, Jimmy Snuka was, was a bigger deal than Backlund was, you know. So, like, sometimes that's the way it is in wrestling. And it's not like a, a real sport or anything. The title, if anything... He was a guy that was really elevated by having that title. So, you know, in hindsight, you can look back and go, well, some of his demands and things with expectations were not realistic. You can't expect to be above Cena and Rock in the main event of WrestleMania. But by the same token, and he probably did this intentionally, um, in my opinion, that match with Undertaker stole the show. That was right. the match of the show for me. Um, so, you know, look, like you said, he's a different person now. And like Triple H said in the... In his address, he's a different person now. And that's a good thing. That's a healthy thing. Again, it reinforces the notion, and I hate to harp on all like the anti-AEW buzzwords and things, but it, it it reinforces that notion that this is the grown-up table and and those are the kids over there. And I, I hate to think that yeah, way, but this is what's in front of me, you know? And I and I think that that betters the chances of, of him getting along well because I think uh, if for no other reason, and, and and not that this would be the reason, but uh, you know, there was a thought that that Punk comes back here and everybody kind of looks at him side eyed, and we don't trust this guy. Really, it's the opposite. I mean, like this guy went to the competition and realized this place sucks, and then comes back to WWE. Of course, he's going to be welcomed with open arms. It's like, yeah, you're you're one of one of us now, right? Like you realize that this place is better. Um, so. I'm not surprised to hear that it, it's largely been harmonious uh, backstage. Um, you know, I, I'm sure stuff is going to come up. You know, his placement on this card or, or that card come WrestleMania. I don't think it's going to be as big an issue. I think he sort of realizes um, what his role is. And I think WWE has got to be smart in, in what they choose that role to be. Um, I mean, we could talk about what, what he seems to be returning for. And, and that's the irony is that like the one guy who, who talked uh, crap about Punk 
um, ended up doing Punk and himself and all WWE a huge favor, uh, it, it, that being Seth Rollins, because now Punk comes back with kind of a natural feud, mm -hmm. an, an organic feud awaiting uh, him where there really wasn't anything otherwise. I mean, there wasn't a lot other than like Triple H. There wasn't like a lot for him to come back to storyline wise. And now he returns with a ready-made WrestleMania worthy program. I mean, that's that's a hell of a night one main event, I would think. It's great for, for Rollins because Rollins needs that kind of opponent to elevate his world title run. And I think they'll have great chemistry together. Yeah, they've been they've been doing some really smart things lately. I've got to say, uh, with this, uh, it, a few things. The, the Rollins stuff has been handled so well because, like I said, they didn't even they they've really worked hard to to make this as convincing as possible. They've gone above and beyond because they didn't. You know, Rollins' reaction initially was not caught on camera, and I think that was intentional. It was the idea that this is going to leak virally. Then you had the thing of where at the house show, I guess the next yeah. day or the day after, he 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 gave this anti-punk promo, which if you notice was he said way more about punk than he did on Raw on television. And I think one having him do that at the house show, it's like a way you can you can kind of gauge the crowd reaction, like are they going to be on his side or punk's side? And then once you're on TV, you have him not say very much say I, I don't i'm not really going to talk about punk you know he's a jerk let's talk about other things almost as a way of saying like oh okay you see this this is real because if it was a work they would have him do this whole log promo about how he hates punk but you know you know what i mean it's like a way yeah. of adding that level of reality of the guys that you really don't like are the ones you don't talk about on television yeah. like they're really trying to build that and even the stuff with mcintyre has been great because that had people guessing, you know, I, th I think honestly, it's all orchestrated having him walk out of the match. I do having him go to the back and everything. I think if, let me put it this way, having him storm out of that match and leave the building. If that wasn't part of the plan, if it really was a genuine reaction, I think they very quickly course corrected and got him on board and said, you know, and convinced him that it was going to be okay because he does seem to be doing business now. And what he's been doing lately with it, it this has even freshened him up and he was stale. What he's Mac been doing. Yeah. McIntyre, what he's been doing with Rollins, the last confrontation they had about feeling passed over. And he's been doing some social media videos about it. Like people are really buying into this because it's believable. The idea that drew McIntyre feels like he's unfairly getting passed over and yeah, he kind of has a point. Is he a heel? Is he a face? I don't know. He's just a guy who's pissed off and who thinks he's not getting what he deserves. And their fans seem to really be buying into that and 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 rallying to it. And some of them saying like, hey, this guy, you know, has a point. I, I agree with what he's saying. You know, he is getting passed over. So, I mean, like they've been handling this whole thing really smartly and well. It's almost like they're never going to directly acknowledge AEW, but it's almost like in a weird indirect passive aggressive wwe way they're going like see this is how you do it right this is how you and do that's it that's my my point and that's why i right. do think it's been a little more kumbaya with with punk is i i think they they sort of feel like on on top of just getting back this huge star who's going to be a difference maker this is like the ultimate f you to aw and they really yes. kind of sticking it to them and for all these guys whether it, it's mcintyre or rollins they're all super smart to try to kind of like, you know, buddy up with, with punk um, as far as being paired with him, because 
you know, how, how many stars are bigger than CM Punk and WWE? I mean, you've got Roman Reigns, um, who is who is a top, top guy. And and then, you know, I think CM Punk is, I guess you could argue Cody Rhodes, obviously. But, the, you know, Punk is right there, right? I mean, above anybody else in the company, comes in as, I think, higher than Rollins in terms of, of, uh, of value to the company. He's a legit top top guys so th- so these wrestlers are all smart to to want to work with them what one thing going back to the the Rollins stuff do you think that original promo months back when when this was first happening when he, when he said he was a cancer i don't want you anywhere near the company and this was like a, a backstage interview i think on social media or something that that kind of went viral do, do you think that was legit or do you think even back then rollins may be thinking two and three steps ahead that at least theoretically, this guy could work his way back up here. You start to sow those seeds of, you know, maybe there could be something here for me. It's so hard to get inside the heads of wrestlers because they're always working somebody or something to some degree. But I lean towards that being um, his true feelings at the time. Like, I don't know if he, there might've been something in the back of his head of thinking like, you know, I'm going to vent what I really feel about the guy. And then maybe, just maybe, if he ever does come back, we'd have a little juice for something. But I think at that time, he, like everyone else, was probably thinking, "There's no damn way that he's ever yeah. coming back." And that was you know? sort of, you know, that that was sort of the bittersweet thing for me of that falling, the, the original falling out with AEW last year was that I thought that that was effectively the end of CM Punk and pro wrestling because if he can't get along in AEW, he's certainly not coming back to WWE. So that's it. We're, you know, the, the CM Punk uh, era is over and I couldn't have guessed that, you know, we'd be where we are uh, now. As far as where he does go, you know, we, we uh, assume it's Rollins. I don't know if that's WrestleMania. It certainly would make a lot of sense. Um, but but maybe they want to go to it uh, faster than that. What do you do uh, in that match? Do you put the world title on, on CM Punk? I mean, it's not the craziest idea in the world. And even beyond that, now we're hearing you know, Roman Reigns, or even Steve Austin, that these are at least ideas being thrown out there. Um, you know, do, do, does it sound like they've got a good plan for, for how to utilize them? I think they have ideas, which is good. I think he has ideas and they do, and they're going to do huge things. I mean, yes, Austin Punk is not going to be what it would have been even 10 years ago, let alone like, you know, 15 years ago. A weird one. Yeah. When I heard that, I was like, but, I, I want to see it, but I'm just kind of strange. I think it's still worth doing. I, I do. I think, I think that That's, that feels like maybe like a Saudi Arabia match or something. Yeah. I don't know if you want to do it at mania because I think there's better. Cause that's sort of like a nostalgia dream match. That seems like, yeah, I think you're right. A Saudi Arabia thing. I think with mania, I, you don't want to do that on mania because like, if you think about it, what they did when they brought boss Austin back at mania is it was really, the spectacle was about Austin. No offense to Kevin Owens. It wasn't like this, this dream match. Oh, we're finally going to see. It was more like, oh, it's the return of Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania with Punk, you know, with Owens. In, in again, no offense, like what else was he going to be doing? Probably something less impressive. But with Punk, there's so many things you can do. You can have him and Rollins. You could have him and Reigns. You could have him win the belt from Rollins. I hope they don't do this, but it's definitely possible. You could have him win, not the. You could have him win the belt from Rollins. Let's say at the Rumble or something. And then do like a unification thing with Reigns at Mania. That's well, possible. It makes me nervous because it's because you know I from the moment that that Cody lost at, at uh, Mania last year. I mean, literally, like when when the three count was counted, I was thinking, okay, WrestleMania forty, that's our main event. And now wow. all these things are kind of getting in the I way. Know. 
The Rock is saying he, you know, he might be up for forty. Uh, I don't know how much I believe that, but now you know, CM Punk is at least an option. And I, and if I'm, you know, WWE decision makers looking to maximize uh, business, and I think, and I'm balancing the two, what's going to make more money? I'd, I'd, I'd at least think about going with Punk um, over Cody. Well, the other option they could do is they could kind of draw out the Punk and Rollins thing to, all the way to Mania. So where like Mania wouldn't That's be their right. first match, yeah, but it would be the blow off. And then you can still do Reigns and Cody Rhodes at Mania. The interesting thing to me, and I, I've thought a lot about this, it's kind of the dynamic is so unpredictable because I feel like Roman Reigns, First of all, they love Cody Rhodes. He's like, he could do no wrong. And I'm I'm glad to see that because I was worried that they were going to turn on him like what happened in AEW, meaning the fans. They have not. I mean, they love the guy. The difference is like Reigns is kind of on that fence. He's that heel, but he's that cool heel that a lot of people love. And they will cheer for him in a heartbeat if given the right opportunity. And I feel with Punk, you have this weird dynamic of... Yes, people will always pop when something like that happens, but I think there's still an undercurrent of some fans who kind of might resent him a little bit, who maybe he rubs them the wrong way. He's not as much of a white meat baby face as Cody is. And for that reason, it's weird. Like, I, I really get the sense if you have Roman Reigns versus Punk, it is, especially with Roman being as huge as he is right now, I think he's a, I think he's a bigger star in wrestling right now than Punk you could very reasonably predict or have the crowd really gravitate towards Roman Reigns over Punk. That what Whether they turn him or not, I don't know. But if you try to do it like face versus face, I do think, I mean, I'm sorry. I see, I think of Reigns as a face, isn't that right? If you try and do it with Punk as the face, I do think there's a very real possibility that the crowd turns and favors Reigns. Whereas I don't think that happens with Cody Rhodes even though I think CM Punk is a bigger star, I think with Cody Rhodes, there's more people just love him and are invested in him and they want to see him beat Roman Reigns. Um, whereas I think it's a very different kind of dynamic with Reigns and Punk. It's much more unpredictable. Who's one? Yeah, and beyond that, I mean, there's a reality that now WrestleMania is two nights, and you know, clearly Cody and Roman is a WrestleMania, you know, night two main event. Um, you needed something for for night one. Seth Rollins is your world heavyweight champion. Theoretically, he should be in in that spot. I don't know what otherwise it was going to be. I mean, there you could find somebody to work with with LA Knight or something like that. Uh, this feels a lot bigger than all that. I mean, this feels like a WrestleMania night one uh, main event, and you, you can go either way. You could have Punk win. You could have Rollins win. I don't think there's a wrong way to go with it. I think that's a feud that you can continue. Uh, for a while, uh, so I don't know that they need to rush to. I mean, Punk and, and Reigns is clearly a huge match. I don't think they need to rush it uh, now. I don't think it even needs to be for a world title. I mean, you can get the title off of of Reigns, put it on Cody, and um, I imagine Reigns take some time take some time off, and you've got this thing waiting for him when he comes back. A big marquee non title match with two of the biggest stars in, in WWE in, in recent history. Between now and Mania. I think you keep Punk busy. You know, I don't. I, I don't think he needs to be on TV every week. I think it should be a big deal when when Punk is around. But I'd be okay with like you know a Miz match or something at the Rumble. I mean, something that you reintroduce him, you you, you let him hit a GTS and and win and get a little momentum. Like when they gave him Darby Allen in AEW. Right. Yeah. Right? He's yeah. Had to kill some time between 
now and, and WrestleMania. So I need, I think you need those kind of matches um, for Punk. But, but I, do, do you assume that him now back in WWE and again, where his mindset was 10 years ago, I want to be at the very, very top and we'll settle for nothing more that he's still that guy that he sees Roman Reigns and wants to, yeah. you know, kind of knock him off his pedestal and be the top guy or that he is at this stage more willing to be um, more than a role player, but, but what kind of a role player, the right role be, being the, the veteran star who is going to get some wins, but is also understands that that part of his role is to help create that new generation. Yes. I think in a short answer. Yes. I think he's, he's in a different place now. I think he does understand that. However, you know, I don't think he's going to look at himself as like an AJ styles, for example, who is now like very firmly in the position of, I am the legend, you know, former main eventer who is going to help other guys get over. He is not that. Um, but I think at this stage of the game, he's definitely, I would imagine going to be more comfortable with, I'm a special attraction. You know, I'm, I'm like the undertaker or something. I'm, I don't have to be the guy I'm, I'm part of the team. I'm going to be in the mix. I'm not, I may not be there, you know, every week, like you said, but when I'm there, it's going to mean something and I'm going to be a very big deal. And I could be plugged into any scenario you want. Um, almost like a, like a more full-time version of what they do with John Cena. Although I think they, they beat John Cena way too much to the point where he he's almost useless now, but like that type of a, of a person like a Brock Lesnar, you know, like that's, that's where he's at. And I think he's probably comfortable with that. And it's also, I think the best way to kind of like prolong his, his time there and his happiness there is kind of keep him out of the day-to-day politics. You, you bring him back for some big matches um, and otherwise, you know, let him stay home and, and collect a, a, a paycheck. Other thing that I've suggested, um, I don't know where the interest level is, but I, I think he'd be a real asset to NXT and their developmental. I think he's a guy who feels like he's got a lot of knowledge to share and, um, you know, is look at that's part of, again, what I think soured him in AEW was not feeling that like the, this younger generation of wrestlers were interested in hearing what he has to say. In, in WB, if, if he was put in, in a kind of player coach role, um, I, I think the young wrestlers there would absolutely embrace, you know, what he has to say. And they'd kind of have no choice because he'd be in that role and you have to listen to him. And uh, so I, I think that could be another really good role for, for Punk. But, um, yeah, I mean, this is all to say. It, it's crazy. I mean, you're in, like the holiday season. We, we end up with like this nice little happy holiday story. But. <laughs> CM Punk back in, in, in WWE. Do you assume AJ uh, Lee is maybe not too far behind? I've read that sh- they don't have a plan for her. I think I think not it might. Who I think knows? You know, she might be up. like a Brandy Rhodes kind of thing, where it's right. not necessarily part of like, the pack. Uh, women's Rumble, maybe guest entrant, uh, something like that. Maybe nice that. Yeah. Or, but you know what I thought was interesting, and I don't know if there's anything to this, but if you notice, I could be wrong on this. He never, not one time that I can remember, mentioned her while he was in AEW. But in WWE, his first promo, he mentions her. So so that could, maybe that means that they do have a plan for her. I don't know. It's just very odd that he never mentioned her over there. Did you notice that? Yeah, I, I didn't notice that. I saw her in, in uh, Heels, you know, the, 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 uh, the show on Stars, and he had kind of like a recurring role, and then she had um she was also on the show as a character 
Um, and for what it's worth, it seemed like she could still go in the ring, still in really good shape. So um, I think you get a nice little pop um, uh, out of bringing her back. Paul Heyman, that was another interesting part of the, the promo, him bringing up Paul Heyman. And uh, could we see a re, you know those two reunited, which I think would be really fun. There really is like such a – it's been 10 years since he's been gone. You know, It really is a completely different WWE than the one he left. And there's just such a, a world of different opportunities and matchups that you think, you know, you mentioned AJ Styles. Ooh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and you've also, now I think you're going to see more and more. Um, we know that there are CM Punk loyalists in AEW. We know there are still people that are very much Cody people yeah. in AEW, like, um, like uh, um, uh, Jade Cargill was. And I think those people, as, as long as there's interest, those people are going to start to migrate. You saw Ricky Starks uh, working out in, in Cody's yep. uh, uh, gym, so like, uh, yeah, and w- which would be another great acquisition for WWE if they could do it. So absolutely, real quick before we, we leave, uh, uh, Randy Orton comes back looking like Ryback in uh, 2013. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, any, any thoughts on that? What he, you know, how much of a difference maker he can? Again, it's sort of like the, the wind a little bit out of his sails because then you get Punk minutes later, but it, you know, Randy Orton's a big deal. But I think that was part of the game they were playing. They had everybody sold hook, line, and sinker, just like you said. Everybody's going, why in the world are they going to put Punk out there now? Randy Orton just came out. The show's ending. And there he was. You know, it was almost in a way, and this is in a negative light, but the kind of thing where that Bischoff used to do where he would swerve yeah. everybody in the locker room just for the sake of swerving them. But I think in this case, excuse me, it actually worked. Um, I don't think Randy was hurt by this. Look, at this stage of his career, Randy Orton is not going to be, you know, like the guy. I think that he's a guy in the mix. He's a major star that you can get some juice out of because he's been gone for a year and a half. People miss him. <laughs> What'd you say? Funny that you bring up juice and uh, and Randy. Oh, God. Hey, listen, he's been working really hard. He's been doing a lot of cardio. Um, he looks like the video game version of himself. People have said that, too. Uh, look, and I think part of that is making sure that he was ready because yeah. you could not tell that that was a man that was on the shelf with serious back issues and surgeries and injuries. Like, like he looked great out there. Um, I got to say, uh, and, and I mean, uh, all joking aside, it's a little concerning to see him that big because Randy has always been a, a, a lean, a really fit. I mean, what, not always, not big. always. Not I don't always. remember him looking that big. He was. I Well, uh, look. I, what I remember is this, when, when, um, after I think it was Eddie Guerrero, when he passed, I don't know if you remember this at the time, there was a huge initiative all of a sudden in clamping down on performance enhancing drugs. Cause that had been partly pinned on Eddie's death was like the enlarging of the heart and all that kind of thing because Eddie was on like an enormous amount of juice. Like he was just bursting. He was a little guy just bursting with muscles. And so at that time, this was like late 05, early 06, a lot of guys dramatically shrank. Yeah. And one of them was Randy Orton. I remember specifically noticing at the, at the time going like, oh my God, he looks so lean. Those first few years of when he came in, I'm not, I don't know if he's as big as he is now, but if you go back and watch that 02, 03, 04, he was way bigger than we've come to know him in recent years. Way more jacked. Yeah. Also, he's older now. Now he's entering his his 40s. And I don't know, he's always worked uh, a, a style that that 
was very athletic, but also safe enough that he was able to prolong his career. So, uh, you know, I just hope he's doing it for the right reasons because, um, you know, having that much time away from the ring, I, I, I get like the inclination of like, let me just get myself in. Ridic- I got nothing to do but work out for the next year. Right. Uh, we get ridiculous. But, you know, that's not necessarily the best thing for um, prolonging his career and also his work in the ring. I mean, I don't know. Again, I, I thought Ryback when I saw him, like, what is this? I mean, he was just so, so huge. Um, so, but happy to have him back. I mean, another. He's part of the, he's part of the mix. You know, he's somebody you can plug in. You could, it's good to have a roster like this. You can put him in there with, you could put him in there with a Roman Reigns. He's never going to beat him, but it gives him something to do. You put him in there with, you know what I mean? Like he's a, he's a main event guy. Yeah. I mean, in, in the span of whatever it was, 10 minutes, they got back CM Punk and Randy Orton, you know, like two of the biggest stars of the last 25 years, um, a, a company that was already on its way to doing record business uh, in 2023. I mean, things could not be better for, for WWE right now. You know, basically a healthy roster, uh, star-studded, loaded with talent, and, you know, and, and Punk, as you touched on, I think opens the door for more people coming back. So they're in really good shape right now. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Brian, a lot of fun. Glad we were able to uh, catch up on this. I was really like, again, chopping on the bit to talk a punk and um, we'll be back soon. Uh, oh, anything you want to promote before we head out of here? Sure. Well, I want to mention one thing about the new, the March 24 issue of PWI, the Tony Storm one that we talked about at the top, because another thing in there that I think that I want to make sure people know about is I did a column on the Von Erichs to try to tie into, partly to try to, to tie into the Iron Claw movie that comes out this month. Yep, the way it was. And also, you know, coincidentally, we're coming up on early next year on the 40th anniversary of that David Von Erich Parade of Champions when he beat Ric Flair for the title. So I did a column in there that I think old school wrestling fans would enjoy. Uh, as always, my my podcast, Shut Up and Wrestle. I just recently had my two-parter with Mike Sempervivi on the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. I've got, as we're recording this, uh, the following week's episode is going to be Dave LaGreca um other i've got the 100th episode on the way which i can't reveal but it's going to be something cool that i've had in the works so people can find that wherever you find podcasts shut up and wrestle with brian r solomon all right and now let's hear part one of my interview with legendary pwi writer and editor bob smith all right well this is very exciting for me back on the show for the first time in five years i think i i just listened back on that episode and it was episode 110, and I think this is 227, so it was a little before the midpoint, and this was 2019. Uh, former PWI, they used to call you what, uh, uh, associate editor? You were a writer for Pro Wrestling Illustrated. I, listen, I started as, I don't. I think I started as assistant editor, worked my way to associate editor, and became managing editor the last year or so, is year and right? a half, maybe, yeah. Mm-hmm. What was your time there? Because I, uh, I I just listened back to that podcast to prepare for this, and and what a fun conversation. And as I'm listening, I'm thinking like, oh, I should have asked that. I should have asked this. So here's my second chance on that. But let's start with that. What were your years at the magazine? I started in early 1988, and I was there full time until the sale to Kappa Publishing in. 93. Is that right? I think that's correct. And I, but I hung out there, um, even though I left full time because I had, I, I've told this story a million times on various podcasts is that I had bought property in Rockville Center. And I'll tell you what, it's a, you know, a cosmic 
I don't know. I got, I had to leave because there was no internet. There were no cell phones. You couldn't file a story immediately. You had to be in an office back then. And yeah, I, I talk about that all the time in my, in my other job, my, my day job. Um, you know, I used to have to cover town board meetings in, in the town of Huntington. And if they would last till 11 o'clock, sometimes at night, it would be getting to a payphone, and we would have uh, either a calling card or a toll-free number that would get us to the newsroom and then reading my story that I wrote longhand on a pad to a guy on the phone who would then transcribe it for, for the paper. And mm, yeah. now I, wrote, I wrote a story on the train today, you know. Oh yeah, I mean now you can you're you're never away from filing. You know, you no matter what you're doing. And I'll tell you what, in my lifetime the change, oh gosh, I started it during paste up. Mm-hmm. I think I think PWI was still of course it was. It was still paste up. You'd paste the pages together on a big form. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ken Morgan and the art crew back then. But um I forget I was veering off. I I think I screwed up the uh the point I was trying to make. But uh yeah, I had to leave. I just had to go. But I did freelance there for about another eight months to a year. I, I was still writing for them, although I wasn't on staff. They 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 actually let me keep the keys to the office. Oh really? And I, and I was coming have you been in by and, there? Because I, I have you been by there? Because I was there relatively I think I had a, a doctor's appointment nearby in, in Rockville Center. So when I got out of the doctor's appointment, I texted Stu and I asked him, what was the address? And, and he gave it to me. So it was just like a couple blocks walk. Mm-hmm. I walked over, took a picture in front of it. It's, you know, whatever. It's a generic office building. I think maybe it has like a, a chiropractor or something in there. Maybe. Now. I, I will say that's one of the most brilliant moves Stanley West ever made. Mm-hmm. Stanley Weston owned the building originally. And, you know, he was the publisher and the owner. And he put us on the fifth floor and rented out the first four floors. So, is this the center of Freeport? In Rockville Center, yeah. yeah. They moved he from Freeport to Rockville. Yes, he owned that building. I know that, wow. Yeah, and it was brilliant because he was making money while we were making money on the top floor. He was he was a shrewd, smart guy. Stanley was the old pirate. You know, he he was he was a very unique character, and I'm I'm really happy that I got to know Stanley Weston. I really am. I vote for him every year in the uh, Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. Uh, haven't gotten him in yet, but but I will continue voting for him. I can't imagine him not being in that Hall of Fame. I know uh, because his lineage goes back to other publishers too. So right. I, I would I would think that combine it with his PWI and uh, London Publishing years, I I think he should be in there. I really do. Yeah. Not that I'm biased or anything, you know. <laughs> in, in preparation for this, I just reached into one of the many boxes of wrestling magazines I have. And just grabbed a bunch and, and wanted to see how many you, you were in. And so when you talk about the years that you're in, it's sort of interesting to see, like, oh, he's not in this one. He is in this one. And so so there is uh, – let me find one. Yeah, yeah. War, and this is a June 89, Ric Flair and uh, Ricky Steven on the cover. Uh, what oh, that's a, that's a great cover right there. Yeah. No holds barred. This is when uh, Zeus was – this is what – got me out of wrestling briefly was the whole Zeus thing <laughs> that turned me off for a bit until. Yeah. I, I, I can see why I wrote, I wrote either the, I, I, again, I want to state this and this is the truth. Wikipedia has it wrong. Everybody else has it wrong. I wrote the first two PWI 500s all by and my Zeus was 500 okay. in the original. And Zeus was 500 because he offended me too. <laughs> all right. So I was like, he had no business headlining anything. And it was just, it blurred, it blurred 
the movie and wrestling, which it's that start at that yeah. point was still getting over kayfabe. It was yeah. still a little kayfabe at that point, and I thought it was just too of a bizarre. And he couldn't work. Let's be honest. He was, yeah. he was yeah. like a brick wall. Kind of briefly got me out of, of wrestling and turned me off to it. Uh, even as kind of a young man, it was like, it was a bit too much for me that, that they would go in that direction. And now I look back on that stuff and it's actually not that bad. It actually aged pretty well. No. Um, and, and what brought me back into wrestling, which is another topic I want to discuss with you. I've got a whole bunch of them here was uh, the ultimate warrior winning the, the world title some, some months later. Uh, but but so much I wanted to, mm -hmm. to go over with you. Uh, but but one thing, I then want to get to what you're doing now these days too, because when, when we were talking years ago, you just kind of dipped your toe back into to wrestling. I think you were writing like a a column um, uh, for for a local a paper uh, about wrestling, and and I know you're back to podcasting. And kind of, is it fair to say you're kind of all in again now? Um, I'm in the nostalgia. Yeah, same. The name of my podcast is the outdated wrestling hour. We, we, we tend to look back instead of looking current, although <laughs> no matter who the guest is, it's always then versus now. We're always talking then versus now. And we, you know, we complain a little bit about this. I complained about the ridiculousness of many aspects of the way it's presented now in terms of you can't help but think it's nothing but a show because they stretch the boundaries of credibility far too wide. And I always thought wrestling worked best when you thought you were kind of looking at a fight. You know, you were, you yeah. know, these guys really didn't like each other. You get lost, you get lost in a good match. You, you still can. I'm not saying you can't. I'm just saying that the outside of the ring activities kind of make it hard to, uh, I don't know how you could watch, let's say Bray Wyatt be set on fire and then <laughs> worry about a championship after that. You know what I'm saying? It, it's like when you take too much of the sports out of it, it's just a show, and you can watch a show on Netflix. You're you're a hundred percent right, but it, but it's so interesting, like the the um, evolution of, of wrestling, and it's kind of also always evolving. That even uh, you know the stuff that you're talking about, I hated too, and I point to 2019, 2020, uh, maybe bleeding into 2021 as some of the worst stretch ever, um, certainly for WWE. But I've got to say, and, and now being a fan for you know, 40 years, whatever it's been, the last mm -hmm. year, two years, is some of the best WWE I've I've ever uh, watched. They've really turned a corner. I don't think it's a coincidence that it coincides with, with Triple H, Paul Levesque, kind of taking the book away from uh, his father-in-law. Uh, I don't know how much you're watching now, but I got to tell you, it's really, really good. I watch. Yeah. I watch. And you know what? I, I do enjoy the athleticism. I like the presentation. It's a little noisy. But mm -hmm. I, I do I can't help but admire what they're doing. I guess we can talk a little bit more about ring psychology during this conversation, but I like it 75%, but the 25% is always gnawing at me. The stuff that, like I say, there's way too much outside interference. There's way too much chicanery without fines or suspensions or even disqualifications. You know, yeah. it's it's like it's like you can get away with virtually anything. And another thing about current WWE that really bothers me, watch the referees sometime. Just watch them. I know it's like asking a Three Stooges fan to watch just Larry Fine, but watch the referees. Watch what they do during 10 counts, during holes in the corner. They don't do anything anymore. It's phenomenal. 
the 10 counts are so long. You could go out and get coffee, and, you know, and some white castles and bring them back to the ring. It's insane. It, it's Unless like the match calls for uh, a count out, in which case it'll, he'll get the 10 right away. Right. I mean, go to your, go to your DVR, watch, watch your wrestler at the count of nine and watch the referee at the same time. Sure. The time frame between nine and 10, you could take an Amtrak between Boston and Philadelphia. <laughs> Yeah, unless they need a countout, in which case he's going to blow through one to ten. One, so, two, three, four, five. Yes, right. Exactly, and on the so it, yeah, I I very much agree. Very inconsistent, inconsistent. The the one thing I'm always mindful of because um and and it it it's why it's so interesting talking to fans and uh, writers of different generations is that, and I'm not saying you're doing this, but but there's certainly. Um, you see a, a penchant for people to insist that wrestling was best in their era, right? Whatever that era is. So uh, of fans who came up watching 70s uh, wrestling say, yeah, it was never better than in the 1970s, Bruno San Martino, Pedro Morales, Billy Graham, fans of the 80s. My generation, I hear a lot of people romanticizing the Attitude Era, right, of uh, uh, mid-late 90s, early 2000s. And... Um, you know, they they all make a point. There was something to be um, learned and appreciate from from all of that. But I'm also mindful of not kind of poo pooing the, the the current product, even the stuff that I don't necessarily connect with or relate to. And that doesn't just go for wrestling. That goes for you know music and movies. There are people who who at some well, point just and that's just kind of human nature. You 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 cut off and anything past this year sucks, right? And and everything from my generation is better. Well, uh, I, I agree with your point because we all still listen to the music we listen to when we're teenagers. It's going to hold you. Your favorite artists when you were 17 are going to be your favorite art, favorite artist your whole life. You know, it's just the way it works. You go with who brought you to the dance, you know, and I think that's a common, you know, with any form of entertainment, you nailed that. And I can't besmirch today's fans for liking the modern product because this is what they have. This is what they know. Yeah. Conditioned, they're conditioned to a certain style right now. And, you know, it and is what it is. I, I, you know, I can't, how can I blast somebody for not having the, the psychology mindset of somebody in the seventies or eighties, because they weren't al even alive then. So right. yeah. it's, it, you can't compare it. And I but think, a you lot know what, you can't, you can't compare modern football to old football and you can't the same with baseball. I mean, if yeah. you look at any sport, everything evolves. The NBA with the three-point shot, you know, everything changes year after year, decade after decade. Um, so I, I don't want to be yelling, get off my lawn, because you know what? You know, wrestling, yeah. wrestling is a singularly special type of entertainment form, and I'm just glad it's still around at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think there's room for for criticism and, and also for, for favorites and stuff that you like and, and stuff that – um, you don't like. I, I think so much of it, you know, when when you talk about sort of nostalgia, it's less about what was going on on your TV screen or on the radio, and more about where you were uh, at the time. And and mm -hmm. what that does is it brings you back to your youth. And and you know, yeah. one of the things that was kind of um, a revelation about that was um, one of my 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 younger son who's about to turn uh, thirteen. I remember going with him and a friend of his to a wrestling show maybe six years ago or something like that when when they were a lot smaller um and his friend was a, a big fan and then i hadn't seen him in a while i saw him recently and i was like are you still watching wrestling and, and he's not watching wrestling anymore and i and i asked him why not he goes um he doesn't like the product he liked it um 
Roman Reigns more when he was a babyface. And I'm thinking, that's crazy <laughs> because Roman Reigns was a terrible babyface and he's doing such great work as a heel now. But it wasn't about, you know, Roman Reigns. It's about this kid, right? And and right. it was about the fact that when he was watching, he was six and Roman Reigns was the hero. And, and I get nostalgic for, I watched, you know, WrestleMania 2 from back in 86, which is sort of universally maligned as this terrible show. And I don't disagree, but I watch that with so much affection and, and happiness because I'm eight years old again, you know, watching WrestleMania 2, and it brings me back to uh, uh, that time. So, uh, you know, and then I'll watch some some modern stuff, you know. And it's not really for me, but but I appreciate it, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you what, I still look at WrestleMania 3 and the Andre Hogan match as the pinnacle sure. of bringing the entire world into an event. I think most people do, yeah. You know what I'm saying? In other words, sure. more than just wrestling fans wanted to see that. It was built so beautifully that by the time they're facing off with each other, they must have had countless millions of people around the globe watching that match. To me, it was the beginning of the big event era. It's so historic in that terms. I know there were two WrestleManias before that, but I think three in front of all those people with all those pay-per-view buys. I just think it set a new precedent for what wrestling was about to become for decades after that. And that's why I consider uh, Andre Hogan one of the most, I don't know, important matches of all time. Certainly wasn't an artistic triumph. Everybody's seen the match. But it's also a little underrated. It's not as bad as, as no. people remember it. You know, uh, for one thing, Hogan slammed the hell out of Andre the Giant. I mean, you've seen, you know, I remember, you know, Lex Luger kind of sort of slamming, you know, Yokozuna on, on the Intrepid and other people kind of doing some half-hearted slams of some big guys. You couldn't do a better body slam than Hogan did to Andre the Giant in, in uh, the Silverdome that night. I mean, it, they, they still show it every week. And I'll tell you what, Andre's chops, they weren't, hold, they weren't holding back in that match at all. No, it's not a bad match. Yeah, I mean, for for two guys that size, they they worked really hard. Do you think anything has has? It, it, and I agree with you. You know, to me, that's still the high bar for for everything in importance and just kind of gravitas. Has anything matched it? Come come close? You know, I think a, a younger generation looks at Rock Hogan um, at Mania eighteen, and I was there for that, and that was really special. You know, Rock John Cena. Um, you know, and certainly audiences have have been bigger since then. They mm -hmm. they played Dallas a couple times and gotten whatever ninety thousand fans. Uh, but I I don't feel like anything has gotten quite there yet. Hogan Warrior I thought was a big deal. You know, in ninety, it was at the time, but it didn't hold up historically. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? At the, at the moment, what was going on? It was considered you know, heck, a face versus face match was very rare at that point for any reason. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're, we're waiting for that next big explosion. You know, for a while I was, I was putting steamboat versus flare almost, different. but it's a whole different thing. You know, it's a whole different presentation and I don't think it captured, you know, as much of the American psyche as, you know, the WWF events did. They just couldn't, you know, as good as those matches were, the wrestling purists loved them, but by the same token, did the man on the street even know what was going on? It, it was just the way things were promoted back then. Yeah. So now that I mentioned them, I'd let, let me go right to, to this question because it, it was uh, one that, that I regretted not, not asking you about, you know, uh, and again, that that's what brought me back into wrestling. And it, it's a little bit of embarrassing for me, you know, because credible wrestling fans aren't supposed to like the ultimate warrior. Everybody, PWI, PWI, mm -hmm. you know, that, 
uh, he's my favorite wrestler uh, ever. And for what it's worth, there are some really respected, credible wrestlers who also you know, were big fans of the Ultimate Warrior, including you know Brian Danielson of, of all people. But you were there at the magazines uh, uh, when they they made that shift and they mm-hmm. went from to Warrior. And it it I think it's difficult to impress uh, on fans who weren't alive or watching. You know what a big deal that was. I mean, it it, it seemed like they were never moving away from the Hogan experiment. Um, and since then, there have been. You know, every several years they kind of try to cast the new top babyface, whether it was Cena for a while or Reigns. And I remember them trying to replace uh, Hogan with Luger. But the, the Warrior was was kind of the first time where they said, "All right, let let's try this." You know, this this guy's really hot. Mm-hmm. Let's see if we could pass the ball. And and you know, one of the few magazine covers I've got see behind me is the, the PWI with the Warrior holding the title one now, which I got signed by the Warrior. Um, do you what was I don't know how much you remember, but what was the conversation back in 1990 when they they made this decision? And also business wise for you all, because Hogan was such an important part of, of selling magazines. Um, did did it feel right. like this was the next guy, or could you see the writing on the wall that this wasn't going to work out? We hoped he was the next guy, business wise. He wasn't. He wasn't even close. No. He wasn't even close. I, I he did he didn't sell magazines. I, and I'm saying that based because I was there at the time. He I remember that that was the point when we saw the first downward arrow, probably in the history of the magazine. Really, um, Hogan couldn't be replaced. Uh, you know, even though even though he's getting that whole act was getting kind of stale. The whole Hogan eat your vitamins, you know. Uh, they they ran out of interesting opponents. It was it was like it was time for something new. And I think Hogan was getting burnt out. I, was the reason he left for a while, I think. But I, I, in terms of what it meant to us at PWI, we kind of picked up the ball and presented the Warrior on the covers the same way we did Hogan, and didn't have the same impact. Now I don't know if it was because the product got bad, and it did. The overall WWE product back then really started to get uneven after a while. I don't know if you remember the Jake the Snake Roberts snake bite era. You had nails beating up big boss fan on TV. All at the same, really violent stuff at the same time they were trying to sell ice cream bars to kids. Yeah. It was a confusing, desperate product around 91, 92. And phew, I'm just looking at it in terms of dollars and cents. Yeah. Um, it was not successful. You know, not for us anyway. And I know it couldn't have been successful for WWE because they were getting real desperate. When they were put Papa Shango, yeah. you know that was another weak attempt at you know getting some eyes. It was it was frustrating because it was it was bad, and you have to write about this bad stuff was not very particularly edifying in terms of us wrestling fans in the office. But we went with it. You know, the Kamalas would come in and all these other people. You remember remember Kamala with Hogan's head on a stick? There's a classic cover, you know? It's just... Yeah, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, that was late 80s, yeah. Again, this was sort of like my peak fandom was um, early 90s. Uh, And I don't disagree with anything that you're saying. I do think there was some good stuff in there that uh, uh, maybe gets forgotten, Um both in, in, in work rate, you had you had guys like Kurt Hennig doing great work in, in um, WWF in the early 90s. 
and Bret Hart, uh, Rick Rude. There, there were some Ted DiBiase. There, there were some really good no. workers. And, and they, they brought the you know, rocker. They brought the rockers in, and Art Anderson and Tully Blanchard, and and and, and, and Rick was. So you have this. Right. There were storylines, uh, too. I mean, again, kind of buried under all the cartoonishness. There was, you know, that Jake the Snake thing, as as wacky as it got, was some compelling stuff. I mean, I, I watched that back now, and, and and Macho Man tied up on the ropes with a cobra biting his arm and everybody kind of going nuts. Or the warrior um, being trapped in the coffin. You know, this is very cartoony stuff. <laughs> I get it. But, but at you know, where I was, whatever, 12 years old at the time, this was compelling stuff to me. And and other stuff was a little more sophisticated and also worked really well. I don't know if you remember the um, the the storyline leading up to WrestleMania 8 with Randy Savage and Ric Flair, where the, the Flair started putting out all these photos in WWF magazine that were essentially mm-hmm. Photoshopped photos before Photoshop was a thing of, right. of him and Miss Elizabeth together remember and and uh mm-hmm. that was good stuff yeah you didn't think so not so much <sighs> i'm sitting in todd gordon's house in 91 to <laughs> 92 when he was starting eastern championship wrestling he, he chose me to be his first tv host there's a little known fact about my career i was you know, yeah, just for a short that. amount of time just a short yeah, amount of time yeah. i'm sitting in his house and there's gene oakland interviewing the ultimate warrior on his TV in his kitchen. And here's the, here's the warrior because Shango had put a spell on him. He's dripping ooze off of his face. Todd Todd walks and looks at the TV and goes, what are they doing to my sport? (laughs) Cause when Todd, when Todd Ford, when Todd Ford ECW, he really wanted Memphis East. Yeah. Yeah, He told me that he says in his book too, he wanted to be like the hard hitting, old school i mean they took it to you know extremes so to speak but that was the vibe in the beginning so yeah we were a lot of us were really down on all that stuff i i can't say i i continue to cover it you know we all continued to to hype it but um just on a personal level i don't think it was a particular high point i mean like you you have a different perspective you were younger yeah, absolutely. No, it I, probably it probably resonated a lot harder. I I do think the snake bite angle was spectacular. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how they pulled it off. I don't know who came up with the idea. I mean, it was just so over the top. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and 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 that was WWF. WCW at at the time was less, and that was always their their reputation, right? They were less cartoony. They had their share of cartoony stuff. The irony is that WCW, you know, what they had going for them was that they had more credibility f- for being less cartoony and yet wherever they could, they were trying to copy the cartoony stuff. Right. And that's, that like, was a cardinal error. The Jim Hurd error and stuff like that. Yeah. Yes. It was just, yeah. Arachnaman and, uh, Billy Jack Haynes black blood and, right. and, and Johnny B bad. Although I liked him and I thought he did a great job. I liked him personally and I liked him as a wrestler. I thought he was, he was a talent. But again, gimmick, 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 one after another. You know, the fire, firebreaker chip, whatever that was. You know, <laughs> everything, everything was like just the two name character, and it just looked like a pale, pale imitation. Yeah. So, it so was, dovetails to another thing that I wanted to ask you about, and and that is the 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 first PWI five hundred, and and we just wrapped up 
forget what we're up to, 37 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, my co-host, Brian Tom, I don't know if you know uh, uh, Brian, but he's uh, another kind of nostalgia buff. Brian and, and I have exchanged podcast appearances, and he's been on mine twice, once about his comic book book, which is yeah. great, by the way. And I think Brian is spectacular as a writer. I yes. told him, I told him, I thought the Sheik book was the, the book I've waited my whole life to read. It Absolutely. really was. Observer uh, book of the year. Yeah. A- yeah. And it tells, it tells just as much about the territory state in those years as it does about the Sheik. It is a fantastic piece of work. I'm in awe of Brian Solomon. I think he's the best writer going today. I and, wish we could have all gotten together. It didn't, it didn't work out. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be recording with him uh, tomorrow, but I would have loved to have him here. Maybe. But I'll just throw that two cents in and hype his book because it's like, I can't wait. I can't wait for the Gorilla Monsoon book either. I, I, I just yeah. can't wait. But he wrote in, in the, the the latest PWI 500 magazine a column looking back at that first PWI 500 and kind of dissecting mm-hmm. um, some of the decisions made there. And and when you know the 500 now, uh, and 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 I have this you know I give this speech every year going on busted open or have have it uh, what have you promoting the 500. You know we take it super seriously and there, and there is a, a a committee of people who hash this out and. You know, this year was was particularly different difficult in that we argued for an hour before we could decide on on who the number one ranked wrestler uh, was. You were kind of on your own on that first one, right? So, so well, in, in, as far as, as as populating the five hundred, right? Well, let's go back to ninety one. We're sitting. I we used to have weekly magazine meetings. We just pull our chairs into a circle near to Craig Peters' desk. And we would all discuss what was going on. Bill Abner would bring over his photos. He's got an angle on this guy. We've got photos of these people, so on and so forth. And we're talking about the ratings. Just talking about the ratings. And Stu Sachs, the publisher at that point, he goes, man, we should do just a ratings issue. The ratings are so popular. You know, sales were kind of waning. He said, let's do a ratings issue. Let's do something. Let's do maybe instead of just the top 10, let's do a top 100. I said to my, to my, I don't know how to put this without, I, I, you know, people think this is bull, but this is really what happened. I said, well, a hundred, why don't we do 500? And he goes, are you serious? You think you could do it? And I said, I don't think it sounds so hard. And he said, go ahead and do it. That'll Did be your you- job. That'll be your job for two weeks. You don't have to do anything else. Just do that. And I sat down and I did that for two years. Did, did it? Ha- I always assumed that it, it um, had something to do with the Fortune 500. Yeah, I think we were we were copying Fortune and Esquire. Yeah, did they do something to you? Yeah. Esquire had an end of year issue that was kind of a listy type of thing. You know, the, the dubious achievements awards. I think it was. Did you know at the time that this would be an annual thing? No. I yeah. didn't think anybody would take it seriously, and boy, was I wrong. Yeah, I remember you telling me when when we talked uh, years ago that um, it was an instant hit, right? I mean, the 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 metric oh. showed it. And not only amongst the fans, but amongst the business, about amongst the wrestlers. I would get phone calls. How come I went down forty spots this year from year yeah. one to year two? Um, people took it doggone seriously right from the word go. The second year, I think we had, where was it the first year? One of the two years we had a com- computer snafu. I mean, this was pre-DOS, man. I mean, our, our computer was this archaic, but at the time, space age, word processing machine with a disk the size of the table I'm sitting in front of. 
it was something else. And and I we had a problem and we lost several wrestlers between G and H or something. And mm-hmm. the people who got omitted, and we didn't know it because I was I was fishing through this stuff. Everybody, you know, Stu did the final edit on it. It all looked fine, but then we realized there's no Terry Gordy and Owen Hart in there. Yeah. You know, and then we realized, oh, something happened. Something happened in the merging of all this data in this old-fashioned system. There was like a long-handed list somewhere. There wasn't like a... No, no. Who had time? I mean, look at it. We were still on deadline. Sure. We had to get the thing out on time. So, you know, some corners were cut, even though we worked it hard. But in any event... I forget the question. I just I'm well, too busy you know, re- heard, reminiscing. The question is like, how um, did you determine who went where? I mean, especially when you talk about that top ten, and and it's what Brian writes about in in his column is that you know when, when you look at number one, it makes all the sense in the world, biggest star in the business at the time, Hulk Hogan. Um, but then there's names like uh, so I think the Steiner brothers were were uh, mm-hmm. in the top ten. At least Rick Steiner was. He was one half of a, of a tag team, not not getting a huge push. Ricky Steamboat, who was in, uh, you know, Ricky Steamboat is, is is obviously one of the greats, but at the time he was doing the cartoony dragon gimmick, and right. WWF wasn't pushed as a top guy. He was in the top ten. So now these days, again, we've got kind of like a strict criteria that we're actually there counting matches, wins and losses. At at the time, what w- to some extent were, were these guys that you liked? No, no, never let never let that cloud anything. Never guys I liked. Um, and again, I believe our first ten or twenty was a group effort. You know, the same guys who were sitting around that circle. But we came up with the twenty. Then it was up to me. None of it was based on my personal preferences or anything else. Although I think that the early five hundreds were based on two things, record and potential. Mm. Like you would see surprising names in the top 40 because we thought that they had potential to become bigger stars, and they did. If you saw Rob Van Dam at like number 75 when he'd only had a handful of, you know, those type of things, we saw the potential in certain guys and we thought that they deserved to be seen and heard and, and ranked highly based on their athletic ability. Because, you know, I think the athletic ability needed to count as much as win-losses because wrestling is wrestling, you know. And, and you know, you heard from promoters that, you know, this guy's getting a push, this guy's getting a push. That kind of weighed in it a little bit, you know. Um, maybe, you know, we probably had guys like Eric Watts way too high up in the ratings. Yeah. You know, promoter's son, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's these are the way things went back then. You had a politic even then. Sure. What, so, what's you know. Was it hard to come up with 500 uh, at the time? I mean, these days. No, super, super easy. Super right. easy. Really? Because, I mean, you get you got guys like Mr. Yeah. Fuji on that original list and, and Zeus. So, But you're still working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no, it was super easy for me because I was Joe Tape Trader. Mm-hmm. I was Joe right. Wrestling Observer Reader. I was, oh, yeah, I wrote a lot of stuff about the territories. So I knew the territories, but I didn't even have to look them up. So it was much easier for, I think I was the only one staff that I think was capable of doing that off the top of my head. Cause I, we would get these tapes in from around the country and I would take them home every weekend and watch every frame of them. So I got to know the wrestlers, got to know their federations, got to know everything I could. I was weak on Japan cause I didn't have any access to it at that point. Right. 
But, you know, we did, I, I think they integrated Japan into PWI much more after I left and the magazine got a little more serious in its coverage. And now that you, you guys do a stellar job with international coverage and stuff like that. But so, back then we really didn't because we didn't have any access to it. What was, so no, I, I I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I was going to say, no, I'm, I was going to say, uh, no, my, 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 my own personal preferences really didn't, didn't no. I don't I don't ever recall thinking like that. I was just thinking formulate a top 20 in each of these federations. There were a ton of them. You had 35 organizations back then that were working in the United States, 35 or 38 or something like that. Yeah. So, you know, we we think hard about, well, okay, here's AWA, then you go to Marius of all these things, and then George yeah. South had a thing in the South, and you would you would just kind of weigh them against each other and Again, we would look at a guy who had more potential. A guy may have been a champion in Continental, but he wasn't going to amount to any. You know, you just had a vibe about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I really say that's it. It's, it. Like I said, so it's a cross between talent, potential, and actual one loss. So, so when you talk about you know burning the midnight oil uh, in in the uh, PWI offices, working on the literally, 500. yeah, yeah. I know you told me that you'd be there till till midnight. So. Are, are you watching tape? Mm -hmm. I mean, are, are names coming up of wrestlers that you're not that familiar with? And so you got to get yourself a little familiar. That's sort of what the process is now. Certainly for, for me working on, you know, we're just, we just put out the, um, the tag team list. Now we have a tag team uh, ranking the tag team 100. Hey. And with that, there are definitely some names to come up that I'm not super familiar with. Not that hard mm -hmm. to go up on YouTube, whatever, and find some clips and stuff and kind of get up to speed. You, you obviously didn't have that. I will admit, if you let's say let's look at uh, Portland, right? And there would be names in Portland. Um, say one of the Bar Brothers or something was was making his way up to the rankings or was working. I'd never seen him. We didn't have any access to Portland for a while, so it was like, well, how do I how do I weigh this guy? Well, that was that was the hard part, you know. But I, I am telling you, and I'm, not, I'm I hope I'm not slighting this. It wasn't that hard for me to come up with 500 wrestlers back then. It was. It was a thriving independent scene back then. And, and like I said, you had Smoky Mountain and, and Continental and Memphis and Florida and Portland and Calgary, and they were all still working at that point. So when you really sit back and think about th the scope of the territories, even though it was 92, 93, 91, they were still around. So it made it easier, I think, than it would be today for you guys because you got your big two, you have international, and you have these tiny little wispy little yeah. organizations that come and go. I don't even know how you do it now, to be honest with you. And how do you do it now? <laughs> yeah. Again, like the internet helps. And one thing that, that we lean on that, that um, I, I was also really interested to ask, uh, asking you about is correspondence, right? So what was right. the network of correspondence uh, uh, back then? You know, was it a core group of, of, of people in different parts of the country who, would call you up on Monday and tell you what happened or would send you tapes. How, what was in it for them? Oh boy. You know, this is a great moment for me because you, my head just exploded. Mondays were the best at Rockville center's offices. Mondays was gathering information day. Bill after would be on the phone with wrestlers and promoters and this and that I'd be on the phone with certain organizations that we spoke to. Andy Rodriguez sat behind me and he was calling certain organizations. Dave Rosenbaum was on the other side calling organizations. We were all gathering facts and figures about what had happened over the weekend. 
That's real journalism. That's reporting. It really was. It really was. Just nuts and bolts. This guy beat that guy, and you know they even gave us times, and it was, it was, it was, it was the best day of the week was Monday, and that's the day the Observer came in. Yeah, Observer would hit our hit our offices on Mondays. We'd all make copies, and we'd all read about that too. And but yeah, it was a real Monday was news gathering day. Of course, and this would mostly come from the promoters themselves, not fans. Oh yeah, promoters. Mm-hmm. Sure, promoters were oh Bill Apter had his Bill was such a gad about he had his his reach into all the indies and all the major ones and the ones he couldn't handle, he would farm out to people like me and I would make the phone calls and talk to what had happened, who got pushed and who's the new champion and all this other stuff. So it was an ongoing process that once you you know, once you were the hamster of the wheel running in the wheel, it became easy after a while, and it was a lot of fun. Mondays were the best, and that's how we got most of our information. And Bill also had a team of, of freelance photographers all over the country who also would provide us with information. They were all, yeah. Everybody was an insider who was at least at ringside. So we, we could get gobs of information from all of our, you know, PWI, you, know, you look at the names in the masthead, we probably had 100 people outside of the business that were helping us out too with information and you know what I'm saying? Just yeah. to help promote what they were doing. They wanted us to know what was going on. Um, you know, Jerry Jarrett would contact and say, hey, we got Lawler against Kurt Henning or something. We need to cover this. So, you know, it was it was a it was a cool time because it's like but Mondays were the best. Mondays were so much fun. Well, one thing that I just thought of hearing you say that and, and it, it was sort of a revelation um, at the time. And I wonder if, if, you know, how promoters thought about this, but you guys would run um, the, the live event results as, as we still do. And one of the things that was sort of a revelation at the time that, it, that again, I don't think promoters wanted people to know was they were doing the exact same matches night after mm -hmm. night mm -hmm. with the same finishes night after night. And again, like it, it, these days, like that stuff's not even canon, right? I mean, that's sort of the, the term because it's not on television, but, uh, you know, I remember like Hogan versus Flair, and this was already a little bit uh, later, but when Flair came in in, in 91, um, they had a match and, and they ran that match night after night after night after night with the exact same disqualification uh, finish. And as a fan, you know, when kayfabe was still a thing, um, you know, I don't know. I think it, 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 it really kind of stretched you know, credibility to be like well what are the odds that you know rick flair is gonna keep on grabbing for that you know roll of coins in his his tights and keep on getting disqualified night after night after night you know we didn't get a lot of flack for that for printing them because we had the six-week curse back then you know what right. that was yeah yeah from the time you sent the thing to the printer to the time it hit a newsstand it was about six weeks that's a funny thing about, you know, talking about Monday gathering news, gathering news that people won't even see for. But when we started the PWI weekly newsletter, that stuff was instantaneous. We had we had match results from the night before and it got mailed out later that day on Monday. So I, I do remember catching a little flack that, hey, hey, you know, you know, how come you reported the Lawler loss in uh, in West Memphis, Arkansas? Because, you know, they, USW was thrilled with phantom title changes all the time, yeah. you know? You know, and it's like, we didn't want anybody to know that they changed the title over here and this and that. So you had to, you had to walk that tightrope, you know? It was, it was it was daunting at times. I remember um, in WCW, um, I think it was the free, it was a, a, a Freebirds Diners title change, something like that. But I remember, I believe, 
the Freebirds lost championships that they hadn't won yet <laughs> because <laughs> the, 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 the taping schedule. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. What a business, right? What a business. It's, it's just, there's nothing else like wrestling in terms of just the beautiful absurdity, absurdity of it all. It was, it was like, you know, I'll never forget the call to Bill after made one time and, he, and Craig Peter swings around and goes, was Kamala there? No, but Mrs. Kamala said he'd be home at six, which, which was, such a classic line. And when I heard this, I realized I had a job like no other. You know, it was no other job like that.